those of you that are new in our church, there are some notes in the bulletin if that will help you to uh, follow and uh, perhaps give you some fodder. Uh, you know, I don't often encourage people to take notes because it feels a little bit uh, egotistical, but what, I'm, what I started last week, and I'm going to be continuing for the next two or three weeks, the, the, real, the real thing that I want you to get is on the back side of the notes in the sermon notes, and it's this building blocks of faith, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I do think that this is an important, uh, a useful kind of illustration, a useful kind of concept, and so I want to really encourage you to give that some thought and to get those uh, basic notes down. Um, last Sunday, I was uh, significantly more tired than I am this Sunday because a week ago Saturday, uh, uh, Raul and, and my son Ben and I put up fence posts at my house for a fence. In fact, Raul didn't know if he'd ever play the guitar again after getting blisters on his hands from the post hole digger. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to my physical therapist who said, I, you cannot dig fence post holes this year. I said, praise God, brother. <laughs> so the boys gave me that for Father's Day. So uh, definitely one of the best gifts I've gotten in a while. A couple of years ago in preparation, I guess you'd say in preparation for building the fence, a couple of years ago, we, we cut the little hillside next to our house and shoved it back up, and I built a block wall, and I left it this long on purpose because I wanted that dirt to settle down and be good and strong and compacted so that when the boys dug these holes, it would be really hard work for them. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So that it would be a good, strong foundation for my fence, because part of my fence will take the brunt of the northeast wind. We live up on the hill up here, and uh, I want to make sure, in fact, uh, from talking to the fence post people, they said, put those posts down three feet. Get 10-foot posts and put them down three feet so the northeast wind won't blow it over. I want a good, strong foundation, because I do not intend to repair my fence while I live there. I'll leave that to the next person someday. What I'm talking about today and throughout this, the concept here of these building blocks of righteousness is this. Godly behavior is built on a foundation of certain beliefs and actions that must be in place if the godly behavior would be possible. Um, most of you know that I do a fair amount of counseling, both people inside the church and outside the church, and what I'm telling you in these weeks is this. These elements, these building blocks are often not all in place, and so the behavior at the top isn't godly. And sometimes people are frustrated by their own behavior. They want to change, but they don't know how. And the problem often is that one of these elements uh, on the foundation is not there. And so I want to share this with you. I've been thinking about this and kind of mulling this over for some time. And, and I, I hope that this will be helpful both to you personally and as you try to lead others. Parents, this is critical kinds of stuff for you. And I, I hope you don't go out of here today and say, well, that's a good message for somebody else. That would, of course, be a, really be a waste. You need to take it to yourself first and then share it with others. The first, uh, the greatest foundation on this whole thing is the Word of God. We talked about this last week. We talked about three of these last week, and I just want to review them. And, and the concept here is this. Everyone has some truth upon which they have built their life. Everybody on the planet. Not everybody has sat down and 
purposefully tried to think out a worldview, but everybody has one. Some people base their life on the Word of God. Some people base their life on other things. And the other things is as broad as there are people on the planet. Some of those things are religious, quote-unquote. Some of those things are philosophical. There's all kinds of other worldviews. But the one that I have chosen and the one that I encourage you to, 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 to use is a theological worldview based only on the God of the Bible. At some point, you will have to choose what the foundation of your life is. And what I will want to tell you loud and strong is the godly maturity that you see in the Bible, the ideas of being loving and kind and patient and merciful and good and compassionate, all of those things only come if your foundation is the Word of God. Nothing else will bring about the character of God other than the Word of God lived out in your life. The second major block on our pyramid is salvation. You cannot live out the Word of God without God inside of you. Uh, many people will tell them, if you talk to them about their worldview, they say, well, I follow the golden rule. Do unto others before they do it unto you. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's commendable that people want to follow the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and so on. That's commendable. It's commendable that people will tell you, well, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. Of course, if you've seen that witnessing method based on the Ten Commandments, you know nobody truly lives the Ten Commandments. But people will claim that that's their worldview, and that's commendable. But it's not possible to live like God unless God is within you. Salvation brings us the life of Christ inside. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a key, key concept. You cannot manifest the life of God unless the life of God has been implanted into you. We, religion is when man tries to please God and act like God. We have a relationship with God because Christ has come to dwell in us. Now, if you're here today and this is new to you, here's what I want to I add to that. The way that the Christ life comes in is through your faith in the person of Christ and in what he did on the cross. Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins. You cannot get rid of your own sin. You cannot wipe your own guilt away. It's not possible. But God can and he wants to. Christ died because you can't possibly pay for your own sin. And so God accepted that payment. When you believe that Christ as the Son of God died for your sins, God says he will make you a new creature in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, if anyone has believed in Christ as his Savior, he is a new creation. The second thing that happens at salvation that is absolutely vital to living out the life of God is that it's at salvation that the Holy Spirit is implanted. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict you of sin and convince you of righteousness and enable your right understanding of the Scripture. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot possibly live out the godly life. The third block that we looked at last week is this. God has the only truth for life. This is one of the great uh, 
what would I call it, paradoxes of the Christian life. Uh, I don't know a Christian in an evangelical church anywhere that would tell you, oh yes, you can learn about Christ by reading some Buddhist materials. Okay? Or you can learn about Christ by reading the Encyclopedia Britannica. They would say, no, no, Jesus Christ and salvation in Him is revealed right here. Right here only. And they're all about that. But when it comes to living the Christian life, somehow they slip back and say, you know, I think there's some stuff out there in Buddhism that's going to help me live my life. And of course, the, the words from Galatians are the challenge to us. The Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, who were similarly becoming confused, he said, are you so foolish? If you started in the Spirit, are you going to be made perfect by the flesh? If you started in Christ, if that's how you got saved, are you somehow going to now take worldly wisdom and that is going to perfect you? Absolutely not. You will not get to the godly maturity you desire following humanly devised methodologies. You will not achieve peace. You will not achieve anxiety, uh, uh, calmness. You will not achieve love following any human path. You have to follow God's path. If we start by the Word of God, we've got to live by the Word of God. I want to read you the testimony of somebody who gets this. Okay? And this is a, a term paper written by somebody in our church. The Bible is my favorite treasurer, and it is important to me for these reasons. First, the Bible is a rule book given to us by the one and only Holy Creator. It tells us how to live our lives, to be like Jesus, and how to act and treat others. It also tells kids how to behave for our parents. Those are some of the rules out of God's rule book. I adore this book like it is a chest filled with the, to the brim with treasure. I do because it tells us stories that happened in the past that are important for us to know. Like how God sent his only son with love down to earth. He was born into this world in human form. God did this knowing that Jesus, God's son, would die on the cross for us sinners to wash away our sins away. If we believe in him and that the work he did on the cross was done also that he rose again, we can be saved. Now, isn't that marvelous? There are many other reasons that the Bible is important to me, but I have to get going on my writing. So here's the last reason. I could go on for pages. Great statement on a term paper, isn't it? I could talk at length about this, you know. Here's the last reason. It is because it tells us how to get to heaven. The Bible says that it is not by works, but by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you ask me, it's like accepting a free gift. Those are the reasons the Holy Bible, quote, my treasure chest, unquote, is extremely important to me. I hope that after reading this, you will dedicate your life to Jesus too. This is my kind of term paper, right? <laughs> That is, if you haven't already, thank you very much, Michaela Anderson. Yeah.
What? Fifth grade? Sixth grade? What? Going into seventh. So you wrote that at the end of sixth grade this year. Nice. She gets it. I hope you get it. We start with the Word of God. It leads us to salvation. The chief value of the Word of God to us is that it leads us to salvation, which then enables us to have a transformed life and to bring glory to God. We continue that process in the belief that God has the only truth for life. I will not seek the truth by which to live my life anywhere else. And so we come to the next block that I want to consider today. God has the power to enable my change. God has the power to enable my change. Many Christians know what God says about various areas of life, but often they seem to envision a grudging trudge through obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Oh, if I have to. See, somehow we, we have missed a little truth in God's word, which is this. God isn't trying to conform your life to some standard. God is trying to transform you into the image of Christ. Sometimes we say, I'll believe, I'll obey, but it'll never be quite real. We wonder if our children will be truly godly or just compliant to our behavior standards. Or worse, we worry that they are stuck in their sinful, rebellious ways. Sometimes we look across the bed and we wonder if our husband or wife can really become something they are not currently. Is real change possible? The answer is yes, because God is at work. Remember, as we, as we think about these blocks, all that's underneath feeds up to the top. God is at work. God has the power to change my life. First of all, God has the power to change my life because God's promise is a whole new life. We read 2 Corinthians 5.17 again already. Think about this. God isn't trying to get you to to come in and sort of change a few things. He says, I'm just going to build a whole new life in you. If, If you followed that TV show Extreme Makeover Home Edition... When they first started out, they were making over old homes. And what do they do now? They come in with one of those great big cloth things and go, and they just tear it down and wipe it away and build something spectacular in its place. That's what God is at doing in you. What he's trying to do in you. He has implanted the life of Christ. And so what is coming up is a whole new life. Peter puts it this way. Having been born again, having been born again, we could just stop right there. When we think of the word born again, we often think of, we just, it's sort of a synonym for salvation. We were saved. We're going to heaven. But born again means a new life started on the day you believed in Christ as your Savior. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but incorruptible. You could paraphrase it this way, not of other human stuff, but of spiritual godly stuff, incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh, all humanity is like grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. He says that's what it's about to be born again. God doesn't want to reform or remodel your life. He, wants, he has implanted the life of Christ, and he's growing a whole new you. And so when you ask the question, can I change? The answer is absolutely yes. Because the, as, as the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, I died... I, I, my life is hidden with Christ and God, and the life that I now live, I live to him. God, God's promise is a whole new life. Number two, God's power is unlimited. Now, I know we know this, but I, part of our problem is we don't think about it in terms of our own personal life. It, it, most of you have been in church a fair number of years, and I say, did God create the world? Yes, amen. Can God do anything? Yes. Can God change you? Maybe. You know what power is at work in you? Listen to this. The Apostle Paul was praying, and this is part of his prayer. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding, I'm praying that you will grow in your mentality, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened so you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What kind of power is at work in you, class? The kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. Can you change? Can you be more like Christ? Is there any reason for you to say, well, you know, Pastor Dave, that's just the way I am. Well, thank you for that little snippet of honesty. <laughs> but what I'm interested in is what's the way you're going to be? It's true to say you've always been this way, but that has nothing to do with what's ahead. Because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. Are you really so arrogantly inflated with your own problems that you think God can't conquer them? Do you really think that what you're going through is the worst that anybody has ever gone through? Do you really think that God is so small that he's up in heaven going, oh my, my. No, I, I know you don't think that. But that's practically, that's the practical impact of our thinking when we say, boy, I just can't do this. I, I see what God says, but it just can't be done. Would you say something with me? God's power is unlimited. Say that, please. God's power is unlimited. Would you take that home with you today? 
And the next time you face something hard, just say, wait a minute, I've got resurrection power at work in me. Number three, God's help is internal. God's help is internal. Jesus said this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, unsaved people, because they, never, they have never seen him nor known him, but you, you know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now this was particularly pointed to the disciples who lived in the Old Testament era, right? Until Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. Then the New Testament era starts. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. He came around people, and he empowered them for service. But we hear King David in the Psalms saying, Don't take your spirit from me. But now Jesus says, He, he dwells with you, but he's going to be in you. And he's going to abide with you How long? Forever. God's help is internal. Sometimes we get to thinking about God's truth and living out God's truth as sort of an external paint that's applied, and we're trying to do these things from the outside. God says, no, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and He is going to empower you. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Man, as I thought about that this week, relative to can I change, isn't that something? The Spirit of God is in me, and the Spirit of the Lord brings liberty, freedom from the bondage of sin. That's what real liberty is. But it goes on. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now there's a movie out this summer, like there was a couple of summers ago, or three, called Transformers. More than meets the eye. And I remember that because when my boy was little, we had a whole chest full of Transformers. And for those of you that have been sleeping under a rock or whatever, a transformer is a little thing that looks like a car or a truck or a semi-truck, but you can unfold it like this and it looks like a, a, a we'd call it a robot or a, you know, a great big thing with arms and legs and so on. But I would submit to you that those things don't transform. They're already there. There's nothing new. It's just a different shape. And that's not what God's trying to do with you. He is trying to change you into something wholly different. And that's what the power of the Christ does in us, and that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does in us. This, this idea of looking in a mirror, I believe, has to do with the Bible. He says, as we read the truth of God, we are looking into, we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We read this and we go, wow, wasn't Jesus something? He was glorious. And, and what God tells us is that the Spirit is able to take the Word and transform us into the image of Christ. Amen. Wow. That's the help that we have in us. 
in us. Number four, God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. God's word is how God accomplishes his will. Listen to this. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God sends his word out, when God speaks his word, when God gives his word, it is powerful. How did God create the worlds? He spoke. He spoke them into existence. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. This is God's truth. These are God's thoughts. It's so easy for us to pick this up and read it like a book and put the advice on like we listen to Dr. Phil or something like that. This is alive and powerful. And we need to understand that, especially when we're struggling to change, when we're struggling to cope. We need to say, wait a minute. The source of power that God has put here on the earth is the word. Now, I understand the Holy Spirit is in us to help us apply the word. So is the person of Christ. But this is the way that God sends out his power, if you will. God's word brings salvation. This is the first evidence of, his, of its power. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. Nobody comes to faith in Christ without the word of God. Isn't that right? The truth of God has to be communicated. This is how God gets salvation done. I understand the spirit plays a part. I understand Christ plays a part. But this is a powerful truth that God uses to accomplish his will. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, they are life. Number three, God's wisdom, God's word brings wisdom. One of the greatest needs we have in life is to know how to make decisions. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. How am I going to act? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? What choice should I make? And God says, look, I've got it here. The wisdom is here. God's word also brings growth. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, he said this, for this is the reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the very word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. The word of God brings growth. What happens, do you know enough science to answer this question? What happens when you handle nuclear material? Can you handle it and not go away with some of it on you? Can you handle it? You know, you go to the dentist, and, and they got this thing, and, and Lord knows the, the beam inside is probably just some little small thing, and they put this little thing right there, and they're going to take a picture, and they cover you all up with lead. Because God forbid any of that radiation gets on you, or, or, or some other part of your body. It, it's a powerful material. You, you, you cannot protect yourself 
from that material. You have to have other things to protect you. What I want to say today is this. This is powerful. If things are not changing in your life, I would almost guarantee you aren't handling the word enough. You aren't learning it enough, reading it enough, putting it in your mind enough. People come in to my office whose lives are in crisis. And after I hear about their story, one of the questions I ask them is this. What's your plan for spending time with God on a daily basis? What percentage of those people do you think say, well, here's my plan, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and I do that every day, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I, in the last year, I heard somebody tell me about their Bible reading plan, and they were trying and trying to live the Christian life, but there were some pieces they were missing. The vast majority of the time, I haven't read the Bible for a long time. Could that be the reason why you're stuck in this sin? And I don't say that flippantly. I mean that. You know, the old saw is still true. The book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the book. And, and in my understanding... The top of that pyramid, what I'm trying to live out, I may not call it godliness, but if you want to put any of those words in there, love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff, if I'm trying to do that and it's not working, is a good chance because I'm not trying to take in God's truth and live out God's truth. This is God's primary method for change. It starts right here. The last... The last little piece of what I want to share with you about the power to enable change is, is something that I discovered, I don't know, in the last year or two, and probably in part because I've been spending time with people that struggle with different things. And I found this verse that I've, I've known about, but it, all of a sudden it means so much more to me. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. What does that mean? That means if God tells you something that you're supposed to do, where does the power come from to do it? Hello? From God. He's not going to ask you to do something that he won't empower. And so you can face whatever command is there saying, boy, that looks big, that looks tough, but in God I can do it. I think the same thing is true when it comes to the circumstances of life. Uh, I didn't run toward the pastorate. In fact, near as I can tell, once I figured out that God wanted my whole life, I kind of ran the other way. I was scared of it. I don't know why, but I was. But you know what I found to be true? That verse right there. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. This goes right together with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation or test overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested above what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation provide the means of escape that you may be able to bear it. He who calls you is, is what? He's faithful. That means he's not up in heaven just flipping a coin going, oh, let's see, let's see what. I guess today Lunsford's going to break his leg. There it is. What do we think God is thinking? 
No, he knows exactly what he's doing. He who calls you is faithful. Or how about this from Romans 16? Now to him who is able to establish you, to make you strong, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. God is going to use his truth to establish you. Way back in the day when I was a youth pastor, we took our, our group rock climbing, went with a ministry that had all the equipment and all the know-how, and not even I'm so stupid to do something like that without some expertise. And part of it was rappelling. So we got on this rock, and it was probably only 50 feet down to the ground. I don't know, it wasn't too far. So we got all this harness on and all this stuff, and there's a guy down there holding the belay line and all that thing. And, and there's this one little gal that was just really scared. Oh, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so she, she backs down over the edge, and then she goes... And she what in the world do you do with that? She took one step over the edge and she froze. You know what? We do the same thing with God's truth. Here's God's truth. This is what God says for your life. And we look at it and we go, ooh. We don't believe that it's safely possible to do and so we run away, or we keep living in sin, forgetting that if God commands it, He will empower it. You don't have to wonder for a second if you can do what God calls you to do. If He calls you to do it, you can do it. Did you notice this week in the news that NASA, okay, the rocket scientists of our country, lost the original film taking on the moon by the astronauts. Uh, uh, we don't know where that is, you know. They had several copies, but they lost the original. And, uh, and so the movie industry is going to take it and make digital copies and enhance everything. And all I got to say is that is going to absolutely send the conspiracy theory folks over the edge saying, I told you they never went to the moon. I don't care what Walter Cronkite said. <laughs> yeah, did you know that there's people who don't believe it? They think it was out in Arizona and they just made it all up. It's government control, you know, that whole thing. Like the Holocaust. People who deny that the Holocaust ever happened. Nah, it never happened. Some people refuse to acknowledge the truth no matter how many witnesses there are. Now let me read to you from Romans. Write this verse down. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the beginning of Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, look, you died with Christ. When you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, you were nailed, your sinful nature was nailed to the cross with Christ. Not so you could pay for your sins, but so your sinful nature could be eradicated and the new nature put in in the resurrection of Christ. And he says, therefore, sin cannot control you. But here's the kicker that I want you to get a hold to today in regard to the power of God. Likewise, he said, you need to decide that this is true. Here's the literal reading. You need to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He told the Romans all about this glorious truth that our sinful nature has been crucified. We've been given a new life in Christ. We're raised together with Him. But He said, you folks have to get a hold of this truth and say, this is true and I will live this way. You know what the gist of it is in Romans 6? The gist of it is you don't have to sin. Now let that sink in for a while. I don't have to sin. I want to sin, but really I don't have to. Here's what the truth that I'd like you to let sink in today, and it's this. God has the power. I think I've demonstrated to you from God's word that there's power that God has available, that he's putting forward, but you've got to acknowledge that and accept that and live on that basis. May God help us embrace his power as we live for him this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for empowering our lives. What a great privilege is ours. Thank you for not giving us a bunch of commands and and then sitting up in heaven to see if we can follow it. Thank you for empowering every step of our path. Father, make that true for us this week. Help us to acknowledge that truth. Help us to live in that truth. I pray in Christ's name, amen.